Welcome to Gary on Guns. Glad to have you with us. Brian Hansen and I are kind of anchoring the entire show today because uh, our our normal sponsor, well, they're out in the woods, uh, deer season, and uh, they're out getting us some venison. I'm sure in a couple of weeks they'll bring us uh, some steaks. Yeah, I'm Any, sure they will. Yeah. Uh-huh. You have, know, are you a hunter? I'm just curious. Have you ever been, done that? I've gone hunting, but it's been years since I've gone hunting. Me too. It's probably been 35 years. And maybe you can help me uh, explain why we didn't get a deer. Because, you know, it's been 30, 35 years since I did this. So me and my buddy go out in the woods. It's like (laughs) 3 or 4 in the morning. And we're out there waiting for deer. And we light up a cigarette and we continue to see no, no, what? What, what? You lit up a cigarette, did yeah. you? And we, we didn't see any more deer, and we continue to sit there, and we smoke more cigarettes. Anyway, they never we didn't get any. I, I just don't understand why we didn't see any. Yeah, n- n- nothing like the smell of cigarettes to bring a deer to the, uh, to the stand. Oh, Lord. Anyway, well, they're not making that mistake. They're not smokers. Uh, but uh, if you're involved in a self-defense uh, shooting... The last thing you want to do is start talking right away to the police about everything. I'm not saying you can't say anything, but, you know, you've got all this adrenaline flowing, and chances are you're going to have uh, diarrhea of the mouth. You may say the right thing the wrong way and end up in all kinds of trouble. But there are some things that uh, that you can do so that you don't have to go uh, through all of that right after the shooting. You do have to give the police some information. So I've been uh, following this guy. It's uh, ethical preparedness. He's uh, law enforcement, 20 years experience. And and, and by the way, I just want to say that he is uh, sponsored by a company that sells uh, insurance for uh, concealed carry permit holders. I'm not endorsing them. He is. Uh, there's no endorsement from this station, uh, this network, uh, from me. Uh, it's it's his uh, his sponsor. I play it because we're playing his video uh, on the air. But these are four startling reasons you need to go to the hospital after a self-defense shooting. First, for new viewers that might be to this channel, here's my background. I am a 20-year law enforcement veteran, plus I have also been unfortunately forced into a self-defense police action shooting myself. So all the information that I give to you in today's video is from real-life experience. All right, wait a second here. we got to get back to the program. Here we go. You've defended yourself against an armed attacker. Now you have to worry about prison and or million dollar lawsuits. For me and my family, I trust firearms legal protection. From their 24-hour hotline, where you can call an actual attorney who will begin heading your way, to the expert attorneys they provide to fight for you in court. Use the link below to get a discount when you become a member. So let's use a scenario to really drive the message of this video home. Let's say that you are in a grocery store parking lot. A bad guy comes up and pulls a knife out on you. You shoot him in self-defense. 911 has been called. The police have arrived. Now, because there is a dead body there, the police are going to have a lot of questions for you. Now, if you belong to a legal self-defense association like Firearms Legal Protection, your attorney will do all of the talking on your behalf because they will send an attorney to your scene to start dealing with the police again on your behalf. But if you don't belong to some type of a 
Legal Self-Defense Association. I've always said that a good thing to say to the police is to say the simple statement of, of the bad guy did X, whatever it was that put you in fear for your life. Then stay, I was in fear for my life, so I defended myself. Now, I don't wish to answer any more questions without my attorney present, and I wish to be taken to the hospital. So now, whenever I say that last part, and I wish to be taken to the hospital, I get a lot of intrigue from other people, and then also disagreements both online and also in real life of why, if you're not injured, why do you ask to be taken to the hospital? Doesn't that open you up to more questions from the police or whatever the reasoning is? And folks, all I got to say is, Really just hear me out in this video and then use what I say with what your thoughts are and then put them both together and make your own informed decision on, on this subject. So here is reason number one. Unless you have been personally involved in an in actual self-defense shooting or something like that, you're just not going to truly understand or appreciate how much your adrenaline is going to shoot through the roof your adrenaline will more than likely be so high that after you shot somebody in self-defense, you could have injuries that you don't even know about. Therefore, that's reason number one, that it's a good idea to get checked out at the hospital after you've been forced to shoot a bad guy in self-defense. And here is reason number two that you wouldn't want to be taken to the hospital immediately following a self-defense shooting. Not only will your adrenaline be through the roof, but also your heart rate and your blood pressure will be through the roof also and maybe even for hours after that self-defense shooting occurred. Here's a little personal example. After me and my beat partners self-defense shooting, for hours afterward, our heart rate and our blood pressure and everything was up so high. Again, for hours afterwards, we were sweating like we had just ran a marathon. And my heart rate was, again, so high my blood pressure was so high my ears were red and warm for I think three or four hours after that event now I was in my late 40s at that time this is like three years ago I was in my late 40s at that time and I was in fairly decent shape and my beat partner was in really top physical shape so the fact that we were in fairly decent shape we didn't suffer from any ill effects from that but had we had been older, had we had eaten more Big Macs rather than healthier meals, we easily, easily somebody could have a heart attack or have a heart attack at that scene or have a heart attack 15 minutes later or an hour later. Again, just because your blood pressure, your adrenaline, and your heart rate is just so high after an incident like that. So that's just another reason why it is very good to go get yourself checked out medically after a self-defense shooting because you don't know if you're going to have a heart attack or not because you very easily could and being at, already at the hospital would be a lot better than being at the police station when those chest pains start coming on. And here is reason number three of why you want to go to the hospital after a self-defense shooting and that is because the sooner you can get yourself calmed down, the sooner you can get yourself to a less stressful place the better. Now the simple fact is, is you are not going to be released to go back home, even if your self-defense shooting is justified, you are not going to be released to go home until the evidence for the investigators does show that it was a justified shooting. So it could be several hours before you are released to go back home. 
Now, what the police will want to do is they will want to take you back to the station for questioning. But if you go to the hospital instead, that will put you in a more cleaner, more stable, more calmer environment than the police station. Now, here are the caveats. If you ask to go to the hospital after a self-defense shooting, the police aren't just going to wave goodbye to you as you get carried away in the ambulance. They will have a police officer at the hospital with you uh, until that, as that investigation goes forward. Now, if the investigation shows that the evidence is that that was a homicide and not a justified self-defense shooting, then they will take you into custody. And then if the evidence while you're at the hospital shows that it was a justified uh, self-defense shooting, then the police officer, then you will be released from police custody. And then while you are there, you don't want to say anything about the shooting to any hospital staff. I don't know exactly what the doctor patient confidentiality stuff. I don't know anything about that. Just don't say anything about that shooting except to your attorney. Also, you really want to try not to get taken to the same hospital that the attacker that you shot gets taken to. I have actually known of other police officers that's been involved in police action shootings, and they both ended up at the same emergency room with only that curtain separating them, where the officer that was being checked out could hear on the other side of that curtain the, um, the doctors on the other side of that curtain trying to save that attacker's life. And, I, and that, again, that is not a calming environment to be in. Now, here is a huge bonus tip that a lot of people don't know about. In many jurisdictions, in many areas, now, of course, this might vary from area to area, but in many areas, if you are in police custody when you get taken to the hospital, in many areas, that county or that jurisdiction gets stuck with the medical bills instead of you. So there's a lot of jurisdictions out there that if they have a suspect that's in the hospital, they will not have that person in custody. That way the police department or that county does not get stuck with those medical bills. So if you do ask to go to the hospital after a self-defense shooting, there is a chance you might not even see a police officer while you're at the hospital. They may stay steer clear of you just so they don't get stuck with the medical bills. And then of course, if their investigation shows that you did a not justified self-defense shooting, that you committed homicide, then they will take you into custody, chances are, after you're medically released. Or once you're medically released and all evidence pointed that it was a justified and legal self-defense shooting, then you won't even see the cop as you walk out of the hospital. So what do you think? Do you think it's worth going to the hospital? Uh, well, I kind of do. And if I were Brian's age, uh, <laughs> I'd really be concerned about all that. But that's some pretty of, good uh, advice. I'm kind of confused on w what the reason is that the person that did the uh, self-defense needs to go to the hospital for. Well, first, on the physical side, well, you know what? We're up against the clock. Let's do okay. this. We'll take a quick break and come back and chat about this. I'm Gary on Guns. Hey, welcome. Glad to have you with us. Uh, it is Gary on Guns, and we uh, just played uh, a, a video, uh, actually for you, the audio, of uh, what to do if you are involved in a self-defense shooting. And one uh, suggestion, actually, uh, that we just uh, ran through, four reasons to want to go to the hospital, even if you haven't been shot. And uh, Brian is kind of up in the air about this. Why? Well, first, you, can you imagine the amount of adrenaline 
that is going through your system. Oh, I can, sure. And but y- I mean, y- you know, if you're if you're a little bit older, especially, uh, but anybody uh, that high blood pressure that could lead you to a heart attack, that could lead to a stroke. So, is that you- like a decoy that you're supposed to? Uh, well, it pull does the police into thinking that you're in a condition that oh. I, I I have to go to the ER. I just can't. I'm trying to imagine myself in that situation. It's hard to do, and but I, the hospital would be the last place that I would want to go. Sitting on my couch and taking some deep breaths to kind of collate the situation would be my course of action. I, I can't, unless I was shot, of course. Well, they're not going to let you go to your couch. They're not going to send you home. They've got to resolve whether or not this is a murder uh, or justifiable uh, homicide. Well, I'm, so, what I'm saying is if it occurred at my home or even at a place that I don't live, I'm going to sit down and try to, you know, calm down well, until this, they get there. This prevents you from, um, you know, suffering that adrenaline rushed diarrhea of the mouth. And, and it gives you a, a place to go to calm down. Uh, you know, maybe they give you some beta blockers or whatever, uh, but it's just for your own health, it's a good idea. And it gives you a chance to recoup and recover. And I, you know, I think, uh, you know, it also keeps you from just shooting off all kinds of information that you probably shouldn't. The, the problem with dealing with the police, especially after a shooting and, and the, the cops are the good guys is that you can answer something the wrong way. You could be completely in the right, but answer it in the wrong way and be in trouble. So don't talk to them. Give them the, you know, uh, this is, uh, I was being attacked. I was afraid for my life. uh, And so I defended myself, uh, you know, and here's who I am. And I don't feel good. I, 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 I need to go to the hospital. Now you've got some place to go where they can check your blood pressure, uh, where you can uh, be calmed down. Would you rather be, you know, in a police station answering questions with all the hubbub uh, and all the excitement, or would you rather be in a calmer uh, a place uh, to answer well, questions? Well, I mean, you can always request an attorney before you answer any questions. Well, I mean, you give them that be... information, but you do run the risk. You do run the risk of, you know, a stroke or, high, or, or or a heart attack. Well, I mean, I've been through some pretty traumatic situations, and you know what I'm talking about, and I didn't request to go to the hospital. Yeah. And I just... But this is, this is just good advice. If you, you know, if you don't want to do it, don't do it. But it's just good advice. Uh, especially as you get older, uh, this is something you really ought to take into consideration. But everybody should. Because the adrenaline is just, your heartbeat is going to be like, it's going to sound like uh, a solo from Buddy Rich. So, good advice, I would argue. Um, And who knows, uh, you know, maybe if something happens to you while you're in the police station, they got to take you to the hospital. Better you just go to the hospital. Don't say anything. Wait till you're calmed down. Get your attorney on the line and go from there. That it just it seems like pretty good uh, sense. 
And, you know, this guy's got 20 years' experience in law enforcement. He's, he's been on the, uh, on the wrong end of this. And so his, his advice is pretty good. I've been following him for a while, and I, I think, yeah, this is, this is a, a good idea. We've got a couple of other things we're going to talk to about, including uh, ATF at your door, uh, what you shouldn't do if law enforcement is at your door. But I, I want to talk about uh, what's going on in Israel. We talked about this briefly uh, a week or two ago, that their gun control laws are pretty strict, and many of these people, many of these Jewish residents, were unable to defend themselves. And the ones who had a permit to get a gun and had ammunition were, uh, you know, uh, in a much better place. In fact, it was so drastic that the Israeli government started giving guns out to people. They they realize that if you're vulnerable, the only way to protect yourself is to be armed. So Israel requested, they wanted to purchase thousands of M16 rifles after this attack uh, that they wanted to give to their residents to protect themselves. And interestingly, the Biden administration wouldn't say yes, wouldn't approve of the sale, until or unless Israel guaranteed that those M16 rifles wouldn't reach civilian outposts in the West Bank. These are the most vulnerable people. They're grossly outnumbered. And the administration is saying, well, just you don't want to give these to any of the citizens out there. So I'm wondering why that is. Is it because they really believe that much in gun control that they're willing to leave these Israelis unarmed, or is it because Biden is afraid that uh, the people on the left who are anti-Israel and pro-Hamas might abandon him if he does this? Is he succumbing to pressure from uh, those pro-Hamas people? I don't know. I really don't know. But it seems insane to put that caveat on the sale so that you can make all of these uh, Jewish residents vulnerable. I might point out, um, as the New York Times pointed out, 500,000 Israelis are living there in a region uh, where 2.7 million Palestinians live. What else would you do to protect yourself but arm up? One wonders what the administration is thinking. Of course, I wonder that all the time. But that's what uh, that's what they're doing. They're they're trying to tell them, no, uh, you you can't give these to the citizens. Is it because they're anti-gun or is it because they're anti-Israel? I don't know. I have to take a, a quick break here, and then uh, when we come back, we'll talk about uh, the ATF. Uh, what to do if they're at your door, law enforcement, things that you should never do or you'll regret it. And permitless carry. All that coming up on Gary on Guns. Welcome. Glad to have you with us. Glad to be with you. Brian Hansen, my producer, he and I have been uh, kind of covering the show because Potterhorn Guns and Archery, well, it's deer season and they, they, they've they gone out looking for uh, for our dinner. 
the nerve of some people. Well, it's okay as long as they bring us back some things. Yeah, that's true, yeah. That, you you got to look the other way. Uh, the store is still open, so you can go there and, and uh, pick up some firearms uh, and ammunition and whatever else you need, including archery. But in the meantime, uh, what I've been doing is playing the audio from uh, several people that I respect uh, that have uh, great uh, YouTube channels. And we're going to talk with uh, Tom Grieve next. Actually, we're going to play his audio. Uh, the ATF is at your door. Never, ever do this. That's what we're, uh, that's where we're headed next. Uh, and then we'll talk about permitless carry on Gary and Guns. So law enforcement, whether it's sheriff, local PD, or the ATF, is knocking on your door. And you want to know what your rights are. Hopefully this is not the time when you're watching this video. Hopefully you're watching this video in advance. But I want to cover the three most common ways that law enforcement will be able to basically pierce the Fourth Amendment and get into your home that I see real live in court. My name is Tom Grieve. I'm a former state criminal prosecutor, criminal defense attorney. Guys, let's get into it. So I'm going to give you the three most common tactics that I see work day in, day out for law enforcement to basically get through things. Yeah, I realize not all these are exactly tactics, but they're just the most common ways. And I'm going to give you a bonus feature at the very end of this video. It's something that everybody needs to know if they're envisioning that they could possibly have some sort of conversation like this with law enforcement. But first, I just want to touch on two words, exclusionary rule. These two words are why this matters. This is basically the whole doctrine, oftentimes called the fruit of a poisonous tree, if you really want to get technical in law, that says, look, the Constitution, the Fourth Amendment, it matters. If law enforcement violates the Constitution, if they violate the Fourth Amendment, and if your defense attorney throws a flag and the judge agrees, that evidence that they obtained subsequent to their illegal search, that could all be suppressed, excluded, thrown out of the case against you. And while, yes, I understand that this can lead to some particularly distasteful outcomes, i.e. local drug dealers and hoodlums going free because the evidence got thrown out. Of course, the counterpoint is, well, do you want to do it with individual rights? Because that hasn't really worked out too well in the 20th century and the course of history before that. It's in essence the price we pay the piper in order to live in a society where individual rights are protected. That out of the way, because I know if I don't cover that, someone's going to be commenting on it. Someone probably will comment on it regardless. Let's get to the three most common things. Number one, by far, consent. This is the number one most common thing I see. Law enforcement shows up at someone's door and yeah, oh yeah, come on in. Oh, it's raining, it's hot, it's cold, whatever the case may be. Yeah, go ahead, come on in. And guys, there's something very important. I want you to imagine that when you open and close your door, that threshold from the doorway, thresholds, by the way, the legal term on that, that's like a force field. Once law enforcement crosses that force field, it's going to be a different game because now they're inside your home. So the Fourth Amendment and, of course, your castle is your home, your home is your castle, that is at your peak in your home. But once law enforcement's inside because you've consented, that's going to change the game substantially. So the name of the game for law enforcement is to cross the threshold and get in. The name of the game for you, the concerned citizen watching this video, if you do want to exercise your rights is to make sure that they cannot cross that threshold. Keep in mind, consent can be verbal, such as, yeah, officer, come inside. It can be nonverbal as far as I'm going to hold open the door and gesture for them to come inside or something like that too. 
okay? And officers are very, very trained. They're very, very good, usually, as far as being able to just casually ask, hey, you know, can we just come inside? It's cold, it's hot, whatever the case may be, as I mentioned. So you have to be careful about those things. Another very common thing you have to be careful about, by the way, is if you do not live alone, if you live with a spouse, a partner, friend, roommate, whatever the case may be, I cannot tell you how many times I've seen cases where, hey, the officers knock on the door, mom, wife, husband, someone who doesn't know what's going on or just don't know their rights, they think, oh yeah, I have to let them in because they're wearing a badge. Not true, unless they've got a warrant. We're gonna get to that. So you have to be very careful about those sorts of things. The second most common thing I see, and this is particularly applicable to automobile searches, but it can and often does extend to the house, something called plain sight. Plain sight doctrine is pretty straightforward. I want you to imagine that you're out in your car and you live in a state where marijuana is illegal and there's a little bit of marijuana crumbs, shake, whatever it is you want to call it, that's on your dashboard or is in the back seat or something like that. And if you just can't fathom, people might have cannabis, then imagine whatever it is that's illegal. And it's laying out. The officer just walks by, they're allowed to look in and they see it in plain sight, game on. That's what happens next. Likewise, if officers are walking down the street, okay, or they're approaching your house and they see something through the window in plain sight, that may, case by case basis, that may allow them to get inside the home. So you always have to be cautious about what you have in plain sight. And keep in mind, plain sight can also not be your eyes. It can also be your nose, depending upon what kind of substances or things we could be talking about here. The third thing that we need to get to is the thing that I know that you're all wondering about. And by the way, again, don't forget about the fourth thing we're going to slide in here at the very end. And that's probable cause. There's two ways that probable cause works. And no, we're not going to make this a law treatise on exactly what's probable cause. How is that different than reasonable suspicion? If you want that, let me know in the common field. Probable cause, you can work on a warrant basis or an exigent circumstances basis. Warrant's probably what you've seen in the movies. In other words, yeah, the cops show up, they present you some sort of document, it's a warrant, it allows them to search at a certain time for certain things within a certain scope. So maybe it's you can search a particular room, the garage, maybe it's everything, maybe it's extraordinarily limited, they're only allowed to search a particular safe. Again, those details ought to be on that cover sheet that they give you. But sometimes I see people ask about that they do not give you right there and then at the scene is the affidavit in support of that warrant. In other words, the, okay, how did you get this information? Why is this allowed? Maybe you do get that. Maybe you don't. That will vary from state to state, case by case. But you will eventually be entitled to that. But I want to make something very clear to you. Even if the warrant is subsequently thrown out for being illegal in court, if you resist or obstruct that warrant, it may be a crime. So the safest advice, again, subject to state by state, so check your local listings, but the safest advice that virtually any attorney can give you is, look, if you're being served with a warrant, raise your rights, make it clear that you're not gonna obstruct the warrant, but you're not consenting to any searches or seizures or anything of the sort, because this will allow your attorney to subsequently challenge things in court. Because I have seen prosecutors argue during a warrant search, after the fact in court, yeah, there was a warrant here, but then they totally consented to the search of the whole place or whatever particular room if it was outside the scope of the warrant, whatever the case may be. So just because there's a warrant in place doesn't mean that you have to consent. If officers do not get a warrant, they may still be allowed in through the Fourth Amendment into your home, into your dwelling, if there's exigent circumstances. 
Exigent circumstances have been defined by a court as when an emergency situation requiring swift action to prevent imminent danger to life or serious damage to property or to forestall the imminent escape of a suspect or destruction of evidence. There is no ready litmus test for determining whether such circumstances exist, and in each case, the extraordinary situation must be measured by the facts known by the officials. End quote. Okay, in English, we're basically talking about three things when we're talking about exigent circumstances. A situation where people are in imminent danger, so grandpa's collapsing of a heart attack and the officer can see them through the window, they can break down the front door to get in and help. Okay, so that could be one situation. Or they see grandpa being attacked by someone. That could be another situation, right? So you could have a medical event, you could have a physical force encounter. Number two, a suspect's escape is imminent. Kind of speaks for itself. Or here's the big one. Number three, evidence faces imminent destruction. So we all know, of course, the classic example of drugs being flushed down because we've all seen those movies. But what about situations where, I don't know, let's say pistol braces could be getting detached because the ATF has said that pistol brace only turns a pistol into a rifle when it's attached. So there could be situations like that here. And no, before you get angry at me, I'm not giving them ideas. Trust me, they're aware of all these ideas that are already out there. But you can see how these exigent circumstances can almost write themselves under certain situations. What can you do about this now? Well, first off, talk to the people who you live with to educate them and make sure they are aware of the law and make sure that they know about the usual traps and they know about the usual ways that officers use to get in. Stop posting pictures, memes, and aggressive comments that will come back to haunt you on social media and the internet. Yeah, I get it. You have a First Amendment right. No one's taking that away. I'm simply reminding you that it is not an intrusion on your First Amendment right when you hear these things read back against you in court down the line as exhibits in your case. It happens to people every single day. So unless you want to risk winning the legal Darwin Award, be careful about what you post out there. And I'm not suggesting it's always fair, but I am telling you that that's life. So before I get to the extra bonus strategy that frankly, everybody needs to know, if you've not already done so, please consider clicking like on this video if you got something out of this. And of course, consider subscribing to this channel to make sure you don't miss any future content. And comment below if you want to see me expand on anything here. By the way, this is Tom Grieve, G-R-I-E-V-E. -E. Uh, well worth following. And guys, I also take a look at all those things, how many subscribers a video got, how many likes it got, what kind of comments it gets, to tell me what kind of content you like engaging with and what kind of content you want to see us create. So it's an active direct way for you to engage in the growth of this channel and to help us out as well. Here's the last big thing. And what I'm about to say is not a political statement. Is it a legal statement of reality? Police are allowed to lie to you under the law. Yes, you heard me right. And I realize that that may shock and offend some of your sensibilities. There are limits to be clear as far as what lines law enforcement have to color within. They're not allowed to lie about everything. They are in every state that I'm familiar with, allowed to lie to you about a lot of things. You may even say the vast majority of things. And if officers are allowed to lie to you to get permission to enter your home or to get you to confess or to say something that can later be used against you in court, there's a word for that or a term for that. It's called good police work. So again, this is where you have to know your rights because it's very easy for law enforcement when they're engaging with folks who are frankly not used to dealing with police on this kind of grounds to get them to tell them everything that they need to know because they may not understand the fact that cops are allowed to and are highly schooled and trained on how to play these word and mind games with folks. So you need to know that and you need to make sure the people in your life who you live with know that as well. So again, guys, I hope you got something out of this video. We will see you in the next one. So that's some uh, pretty sound advice.
We're up against the clock. We have to take a quick break. But when we come back, permitless carry in the news. Coming up, Hungarian Guns. Hey, welcome. Glad to have you with us. Uh, we uh, have just uh, played a series of uh, people who I follow on uh, YouTube who have really good advice. And uh, I, I, would, I would recommend you follow them, too. Uh, it really uh, it really helps to keep your fingers on the pulse of what's going on out there. And uh, these guys do it really, really well. Um, there is, in Florida, a new rule. This, this kicked in in July that says you, you can carry a firearm without a permit. It's, it's permitless carry. And more and more states are getting involved in this. The Miami Herald wrote an editorial about this. They, they're really upset, really concerned that people are carrying guns that didn't get a permit. And it's kind of silly because the bad guys are carrying guns without a permit all the time. Not having a permit isn't, you know, is not stopping the bad guys. But they're all up in arms about this, and they now they're complaining that applications for concealed gun permits uh, have fallen, they said, by 64% compared to the same three months a year ago. And so have applications for gun safety classes. Uh, an alarming development, they write, in a state where a Florida man has already given us top spot in any listing of the ridiculous or out of control. I, I'm not sure how they're coming to that conclusion. But here's the thing. If, and, and I always recommend this, if you're going to carry, whether you're going to get a permit or not, take the class. Literally, take the, take the permit class. If you don't want to get a permit, if you're, you're of the impression, and not wrongfully, I would, uh, I would argue, that the Second Amendment gives you permission to carry a firearm, and you're not going to, you're not going to submit to getting a permit. Well, fine. But take the class anyway. Because you'll learn all kinds of things about the law that you probably didn't know. I learned a ton from Tim Oliver at Learn to Carry and from the guys that come on Gary on Guns. Take the class. It's the best thing you can do. And let me point out that one more bit of advice, and that is to take training, firearms training. Practice, 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 but get someone who is really good uh, at, at uh, uh, teaching and take their classes. Don't, don't just, you know, hey, I, I, I did the bare minimum, I took the class, I uh, either got, got or decided not to get the permit, I'm going to carry. And then just leave it there. You got to practice. You've got to go out on a regular basis and practice. You can learn all kinds of great tips about uh, how to shoot, uh, how to, uh, you know, draw from your holster, uh, how to stand, uh, under what circumstances, uh, you know, you uh, just all kinds of information that will make you a better shot. And let's not forget that you're responsible when you pull the trigger for your target and what's beyond so you want that practice. Take the class, whether you get the permit or not, and practice, and practice with an expert so they can give you some tips. That's my best advice.
But getting back to this Florida uh, deal, where the uh, the newspaper in Miami is so afraid uh, that uh, you know the, the, these people are carrying guns. In the state of Ohio, we heard the same thing. The state of Ohio, they were told that if they had permitless carry, there would be mayhem, blood on the streets, bodies stacked up. It was going to be dangerous to to get in your car and drive to work in the morning. People would be shooting at you all over the place. That's, That's the kind of argument you hear every time, whether it's permit or permitless carry. And in the state of Ohio... Homicides went down. So this, all this angst in Florida is over nothing. Historically, this is what happens. More guns, less crime. And it's, you know, if, if it was just an anomaly, if it happened in one place or just for a short time, that would be one thing. But it happens over and over and over again. They hit us with the same stupid arguments. They're always terrified that somebody is, you know, that everybody is going to go out shooting everybody else, uh, that it's going to look like the, you know, the OK Corral every day on every block. And it never materializes. You'd think they'd quit offering that argument. Uh, fortunately, in, uh, in our state here in Missouri, we can uh, carry with or without a permit. There is an advantage to the permit, and that is that when you travel from, say, the state of Missouri to Ohio or Florida or whatever, there is reciprocity in most of these states. By the way, always check. Always check. Go, you know, if you're going to drive through Indiana, go to the Attorney General's off uh, uh, website, find out, or Secretary of State, and find out uh whether or not there's reciprocity with your home state, with, with Missouri. Always want to check that. But that's the advantage if you have permitless carry, for instance. Uh, if if here in Missouri I have permitless carry and I go to Ohio where they have permitless carry, I can't carry in Ohio. Because they only have permitless carry for Ohio residents. I don't know why. It's just a quirk in their law. Always, always check. A uh, quick, uh, quick word for veterans because, well, we're celebrating it. Should be Armistice Day. That's how this originally started. But if you backed up under that flag and you swore that you would give your life to the government, we are all indebted to you. Thank you. Whatever it is in life that you want, go out and get it. Don't wait for the government to drop it in your lap. You make it happen. You seize the day. Carpe diem and Gwen, baby, honey, I'm coming home.